Hello everybody and welcome back to What Would The Smart Party Do? Last time we were quite combative. Combative? Combative. <laughs> That's fighting talk. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like we're going to go that way again, although I'm going to be stumbling over our initiative. With me as always is my good friend Baz. How are you doing Baz? Hello. Ding ding round two. We, I feel like we should have someone walking around the edge of the ring holding up a number. A ring orc or something. <laughs> So, last time we were on, we talked about uh, fights and getting into them and getting out of them and how to make them good. And it was a reasonably high-level discussion. We covered quite a lot of things, but our uh, beloved listeners, both of them, wrote in to say they loved that and could we do more. So, we're going to revisit it. And probably a good place to start, I don't know, is uh, rolling for initiative or initiative at all. Any kind of method of getting initiative. Who goes first, or when yeah. do you go, or how many times? All that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, yeah. So back we go into combat again. Yeah. Thanks to thanks to our whole listeners, we got quite a lot of engagement with this one, didn't we? It turns out that despite our caveats last time, I think people do like to have good fights in games. Um, they do. Uh, I was worried that people would go, oh no, just one roll, get it over and done with, can't stand combat. Maybe those people have been very quiet and didn't listen to a podcast about combat. Who knows? <laughs> the silent majority yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah so it, nothing tells you that combat is on the table and um, and going live than the clarion call of roll for initiative it's, it's become a meme now hasn't it roll for initiative it you does, see a picture yeah. of some like hacked up photoshopped monster like a toilet brush and a duck and someone says <laughs> roll for initiative what's its armour class and and this is out there in mainstream now, isn't it? I think I've, I'm not sure I've ever heard roll for initiative like you know down the gym or whatever in the pub, but it can't be far away, can it? When it when it's it mainstream internet, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So initiative, I oh swing back and forth on initiative and what's good and what's bad about initiative. It's I think it's entirely possible to to have combats in your game that do not have an initiative system whatsoever. They just don't have it. Um, it is possible. And in an ideal world, it should be like that all the time. But <laughs> but when those systems go wrong, they really go wrong. Um, because there's yeah. that lack of system means it's whoever shouts loudest goes first. And, and that, that doesn't lead to... That's, that's not good play. Yeah, I mean, a good thing initiative systems do sometimes is help you as a gem make sure that everybody gets a go. Mm. It's easy to forget sometimes, or you might get overexcited yourself or miss someone out or something like that especially if it's a convention game or something and it's all new players and you don't really know them that way. But uh, if you have got some kind of initiative system, it does mean that, certainly in combats anyway, everyone's going to get a fair shake of the stick. So yeah. there's, there's something there to be said for it. Rather than just managing the game and the combat and the mechanics per se, it can be a bit of a social management tool to make sure you've been around everybody. Mm. Yeah, but, it's, but it, the weird thing is, of course, it's, it's, uh, it's a system that only comes in when guns or bows or spells come out you don't often yeah. see initiative come out for free play as they call it so i mean when i've been teaching yeah. new people to play role-playing games that transition between uh, always delineated by initiative role between combat and non-combat it does the game is a different thing when 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 the fighting has started and and i've often found newbies particularly quite find it quite difficult to realize they're playing two se almost separate games delineated yeah. by that initiative role it's like you've just got them used to the idea that you speak and then you ask questions and the DM just sort of like talks back to you and unfolds the scene a bit more and they're all yeah. being discursive and it's like well anyone can chip in any time and then ah uh, no it doesn't go like that now we're back to something you might know from a board game or from playing cards now we're going around <laughs> in a circle or it's you then it's you then it's you and if you start off with a fight and you're teaching newbies to come out of a fight then that's quite difficult so I think it, it definitely puts a new structure into the game at certain points and obviously there's pros and cons to that and the usual one that you see written down in the book is we're going to use initiative because we're going to be using more rules for this stage of the game and it's more important in a combat that people get an allocation of time and resource and action than it is outside of combat so without initiative it would be anarchy that's summing up most combat yeah. introduction chapters I'm not sure I'd buy that but that's the stated reason, isn't it? There, there is some truth in there. I, think, I mean, the, just to go back to the whole premise of initiative, like thinking in terms of um, battles and war, and uh, it's like seizing the initiative is a thing. You know, you 
mm. it means you have the advantage and it's like role playing games have a few things like that where there's certain words that don't mean what they mean in the outside world anymore they become their own <laughs> thing within RPGs yeah. and, and initiative now means certainly to season role players means a thing and like I say yeah. newbies might be slightly different but when you say initiative to people they generally understand that as like who gets a go when when really it should be about the situation and who's got the advantage who's got the upper hand who's got surprise whatever it might be arguably or it should be called something else altogether and not called initiative but th that's like one method I have seen is um, is you can kind of judge the situation and say who has got the initiative and if you've stumbled in uh, to a room full of orcs gambling around the table or something and you weren't expecting them there and they weren't expecting you that, that sounds like a good time to roll for initiative but in other situations perhaps just the narrative and that's that talky bit of the game you're talking about that should decide who goes, who's going to go first like one set of uh, protagonists will have the upper hand in some way and uh, maybe it should be a resource that gets passed backwards and forwards depending on the flow of battle mm. yeah. so I've noticed in games like a lot of the free league games at the minute that use a d10 card initiative system which is just cards numbered from 1 to 10 1 goes first, 10 goes last and you deal with that randomly um, but there's things like uh, manoeuvres so when you get extra successes on attacks you can swap initiative cards with other people and that kind of right. thing so you can kind of manipulate what ordering you're going in so you can set other people up or you can try and go before the baddies do or you can manage when they go and all that kind of stuff so I think that kind of system although I don't particularly like that one for, for reasons but it's not worth getting into now I think that idea is good and cool the fact that initiative should be like a, a fluid currency that kind of passes around depending on how the tides of battle are going mm. yeah I, mean, I, I quite like that because I quite like a bit of crunch in my games um, initiative is often a little bit untouched it's a big design space that's probably got a little bit more room in it than people think and I do quite yeah. like games where, where one of your actions can be to play with that to alter your numbers to whip about a bit sometimes it gets a bit overcomplicated you know like delaying and readying in 3rd edition and beyond D&D is always a pain in the butt you know, somebody yeah. has 22 and then you've got to like rub it out and write down 16 just because they've got some weird trigger that they want to do but it is if it's um if it's done well and i think sometimes like you've mentioned cards for free league and uh, and clearly cards in savage worlds as well if you've got a really good visual in mind then initiative doesn't have to take up too much time and space at the table and, and i don't think it should because with your example of seizing the initiative that's something that in fiction in the narrative is done in less than a heartbeat but it's mm. one of those things that at a table can really stretch out into minutes and it's one of the few times where I say actually this feels like, like we're, we're almost wasting time here doing some admin before the fun can start um, when when actually as often as not if you just go round the table from the GM you'll get a perfectly perfectly good value out of that or go round the other way sometimes or, or whatever it is you know we'll roll a d6 each and, and, and I say that as the designer of the world's most complicated initiative system in my games so. <laughs> <laughs> one of the ones that I do like which seems counterintuitive um, is the One Ring mm -hmm. God knows what the second edition will bring which is currently working on by sophisticated games and free league so anything could come out of there but um, the initiative basically goes to the defender oh. and that works because in the narrative of uh, Lord of the Rings and all that kind of stuff, Tolkien's works is generally the good guys are getting beset upon by wargs or orcs or trolls or whatever else Yeah. Uh, and so they're trying to defend themselves and it's only if in the role playing game the characters decide to like spring an ambush on someone for some reason mm. like the defenders will get to go first in that situation and I think it's just a way of enforcing the behaviour that the good guys generally aren't the ones trying to cause fights right. it's just that they stumble upon them by the uncaring evil world around them or Sauron or whoever else yeah, so I like that as an idea as a concept mm. yeah and I think sorry to interrupt you but um, the other thing I think it leads into is there's a lot of other initiative systems which are make a roll or do something and decide whether you go before or after the baddies and that as a broad oh, brush yeah. and then players amongst themselves can decide what they want to do when split into those two groups I think Shadow the Demon Lord does something like that arguably mm. it's slightly different but you know, there's that kind of thing, but I like in the the one ring that basically the good guys get to go first if they've been attacked by orcs, and they do all their stuff, and then the bad guys do their thing, 
and it doesn't feel that bad. Uh, some people want to roll for it or want to get an advantage by rolling higher than other people, but it really comes down to why not let the players have first bite of the cherry because they're the ones, you know, playing the game. They want to have fun. And amongst the players who gets to go first, there is a, a thing based on wits, but it comes down to how involved in the fight you are, which will also dictate how easy you are to hit. So if you're right at the front, you get to go first, but you might get beaten up later when the baddies get their go because you're just easier to hit. Mm. And if you're towards the back, being more defensive, that's cool. You can be like that if you want, but you don't get to go first. Other people get to have their glory first before you do. So I think it's quite a neat way of doing it so that players can self-regulate how involved or not they want to be and also the fact that the players get to go first before the bad guys do. Yeah, that's that's sexy. Every time you talk about the one ring, which we do every time we talk about mechanics, it's really Mm. nice that they've as usual they've got a system and they've looked to emulate some fiction and then that's what they build their mechanic around and I think they clearly do a really really good job on that Um, on the initiative front I think one of the things you don't see and I'm thinking about it now I'm wondering why you don't see is the idea of simultaneous action which you can see quite a lot in some war games uh, miniature games which is where all of this stuff comes from in the first place but yeah. the idea of like you know you both get to shoot or punch or blade swords whatever and um, you can roll your attack as much as you want but you know even if you kill your opponent they still get to do their thing and you can both be dropped at the same time I, I'm, I'm assuming that's just become unwieldy and it's just my go your go my go your go is just a conceit that we need to have in games to keep it from just being hard yeah there's a couple like that so games that have um, opposed roles or so something like Pendragon for example Mm. that tends to go off opposed roles so it, it, it quite often feels like everyone's involved all the time if you know what I mean you don't yeah. just have your go and then their go and when one's doing one the other one's not doing it's like when you're fighting another knight you both roll your attack roll right. and see who gets best if you know what I mean so you have to like equal or underneath your skill but better than their roll on theirs so there's like that. that's quite a nice that feels like more involved on both sides if you know mm. what I mean like something's happening dynamically so I like that kind of stuff. The one that I've seen that does do everything all at once is the one roll engine. So Godlike and Wild Talents oh, and all that. Uh, but as you were suggesting, that is quite mechanically involved. So you still have to do a statement of intent. So there's a batting order depending on sense and one of the stats, I think, or depending on the iteration again. But ultimately, you all have to say what you want to do. And then you all roll at the same time. And then you work out based on the width of the roll who went first. So although everything's all happening at once, the mechanical cost of sorting it all out afterwards is quite high. And it doesn't feel like everything's happening at once. It feels like there's a lot of work going in for a result (laughs) that, you know, and and, you you can knock successes out of other people's uh, sets that they've made by hitting them and things like that. So even at the end of all that, it might turn out that you don't get to do anything because other people have counteracted what you wanted to do. Yes. Yeah. This so it doesn't feel as fluid and dynamic as you might want it to. Like the, the yeah. idea of everybody's acting at the same time sounds cool for uh, moving your head, but the way they've engineered making it work makes it less cool. Yeah, as an example of when the one roll engine is kind of like hoisted by its own premise because it's a, it's an occasion where it just needs two. Two rolls would be fine, yeah. but you can't do it because we've written one roll engine on the bloody cover in ink. <laughs> <laughs> but that that takes me back to like classic old school D and D back in the basic book where statement of intent was a thing before you rolled your initiative you had to do your statement of intent and you almost had to have an initiative order of who did the statement in what order that's right yeah like yeah. um so the slowest person would have to say first what they were doing yeah and the fastest person could yeah. then react to that and then if someone shot the magic user and you were going over there to slice them open with your sword you suddenly found yourself with nothing to do. Your action mm-hmm. just fizzled. You walked over there and swung at empty space. What a strange <laughs> yeah. old world we used to live in. And that was supposed to be a simple game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's a bunch of initiative systems, and we could go through all of them. It might be worth moving on to the topic soon. I think, I think so, yeah. for me, um, it's just a way of... like the, the simplest and best one I think I've found so far is some kind of role if you want one. And just deciding if you're going before or after the the baddies, and then let yeah. players choose for themselves. Yeah. That as a generic approach, obviously, each game you want to play might have something different, and it might tie into the mechanics of the game. 
but I think generally speaking I'm a bit more chilled out than I used to be on initiative and I don't care that people have the goals and decide amongst themselves who wants to do what and if someone wants to assist someone else let the players talk about it and do it themselves you know I don't I don't really want to intrude on that if people are having fun and, and coming up with combos and you know team actions you see in comics and things like that like let the players do it I agree I mean the um, I love that kind of stuff myself mate the old fastball special you know picking people up and yep. throwing them if they're like six apart in initiative players will think well that can't be possible of course that should be possible of course it should don't let the rules get in the way of a good time um, mm. having said that at the other end of the spectrum a game that I've really been enjoying recently that you've been running for us is Feng Shui 2 and that uses it's, well I don't know if it's truly tick based initiative I remember that from Exalted a game we mm. played a few years ago as well so that's a system where you can have multiple actions and everything you do takes a certain amount of shots or ticks or whatever and there's quite a lot to manipulate in the course of what you would consider a round I think in Feng Shui, standard, we're doing three or four different combos and manoeuvres before we reset anything, aren't we? That's that's quite yeah. nice, and that and that really is. There's a little in-game thing to play about timing. It makes timing fun. Timing fans, I think it is possible to have timing <laughs> fun, and and a dodge kind of knocks you back a little bit. You know, you can up your defences and take a, a, a slight knock to your tempo. That's good fun. Yeah. Yeah. It- that's that's one example of a game where there's some initiative uh, resource to use to have fun with the elements of the game. I think for a lot of other games, it is just a static number, isn't it? Yeah. You make a roll to sort out a batting order, and then that cycles round. Cyclic initiative is is a 21st century innovation. <laughs> I say 20 years after the 21st century began. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last century, they've had a world war by now, but apparently, for me, it's yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it came out in D&D 3 before that like all your classic games didn't do cycling initiative you rolled initiative at the start of every single round that seems so old fashioned yeah. now doesn't it it does it seems labour intensive for not a lot of benefit mm. Mm. Um, of course there's savage worlds where you deal cards every round but that doesn't that just involves one person dealing out a bunch of cards rather than everybody having to roll dice and then yeah. everybody shouts out the number at the same time while the GM's trying to write them down and you know all that kind of stuff Which uh, would- minimise that it will segue into our next topic, I hope, because whenever I look back through my archives, which is a really elaborate word for just the pile of crap I've got in various places, <laughs> I don't have to put on white gloves for it. But if I do find any old manila folders from university days, in amongst bits of character sheet, there's always little bits of paper that have got what looks like a matrix of numbers on them. And it's like a list of four names down the left-hand side and a bunch of initiative scores so I mean, it almost looks like a lottery card and that, that seems yeah. to be the artifact of which I've got loads and loads and loads of them with just arcane little symbols I've tried to use over the year for like ticking off when someone's had a go when they've not had a go when they're thinking of having a go when they're unconscious <laughs> and I don't because how many times have I said it's your go Jules and it's always Jules and he goes I've been unconscious for three rounds because of what you did to me stop asking me what I'm going to do I can't do anything <laughs> <laughs> so record keeping initiative has been like the bane of my existence for donkey's years and, and and right alongside it is a string of decreasing numbers which indicate hit points yeah so <laughs> should we can we go to that bit of the game that probably gives people more conniptions and has done so for decades than any other thing in the world the idea of hit points and wounds generally and, and what it takes to be up or dead, or whatever it is in your game of choice. Mm. Oh, hit points. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting topic, isn't it? Um, like, I think we've, made, we've covered this before, but I think we've covered a lot of things before. We've got 100 odd episodes, so um, forgive us, listeners, if we're going over old ground, but I I think we've agreed previously what we're like is kind of being able to take two or three hits and then you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, that's certainly what I said anyway, that kind of thing. That's, that's kind of my level and why I don't really get on as well with higher level D&D where you can take lots of hits before things start to go badly. So that's all right. Um, there's a thing around being wounded, isn't there, as well? So yeah. if you're playing a game like D&D, quite often you might have, say, 50 hit points. And if you're on 50 or 1, it doesn't make any real difference, maybe. Or maybe there's a bloody mechanic, but, you know, generally speaking, there isn't. Whereas a game mm-hmm. like Savage Worlds, every wound you've taken gives you penalties. And that makes your character progressively worse as the combat goes on, which, when you think about it, standing back at it and looking at it coldly, is slightly unfun. Although the simulation is out there, like the fact that you start to degrade 
as you've taken damage so yeah. that makes sense and then there's things like Traveller where you take hits to your stats. You don't have hit points necessarily, depending on your version of Traveller, obviously. But your attributes will be reduced, and that's where you take your wounds. So then you become worse as well. It's like taking penalties. It's a funny old thing. I like the idea of having a few tick boxes. Mm-hmm. Again, to quote sort of Free League, they've got a bunch of conditions. So there's about, I think there's about three physical or three mentals in Vesson, for example, and then you're broken. To simulate taking stress yeah. and taking physical wounds and that kind of thing so i like that kind of taking a few ticks again it's got the penalties though so there's a bit of a death barrel on dice rolls um i don't know i'm in two minds about it i don't i like i like the idea that this should be kind of either a lack of resource or a feeling of getting closer to you're in real trouble once you've started taking mm. hits but i also don't want people to be crippled and just kind of like crawling around a dungeon trying to stab people while they've, they've been wounded heavily and there's no way to recover. I don't know about yeah. what are your thoughts. Well, I mean, I, I, I like hit points just simply because of their simplicity. And um, as we were saying about role for initiative earlier, the, the term hit point is definitely mainstream. Definitely. Yeah. That's gone well outside of gaming now and it's it's been into video games for as long as I can remember too. And people kind of understand what a hit point is. It, it, they just don't make any sense if you look at them with the slightest level of scrutiny, and and that's true of <laughs> almost everything in D and D. Just don't look too hard, you know. It, you yeah. don't want to squint at it out of the corner of your eye and enjoy it. That's how I play it. <laughs> when you start looking at it, you start wondering why why armor class is even a thing, and <laughs> don't go there. So you know, hit points hit points do bring a little bit of baggage, but only if you go looking for it. But at a very simple level, the idea of a number that counts down to zero and it's game over makes it's just simplicity itself. And and then of course, obviously you can you can grade how many of that number you have. And many other games use hit points by another name, don't they? If you've got ten wound boxes and your mate's only got eight wound boxes, they're still hit points. It depends, you know, if the sword is dealing 20 hits every time it hits you or not, then you've got a deadly mm. game all of a sudden. But if the sword yeah. only deals one, then you haven't got a deadly game. So all of these things connect, don't they? Everything they in combat connects to everything else. And although we're sort of like looking at elements of combat in isolation, I think it's important to understand that whole knock-on piece. And I think yeah. that something like your hit point decision, if you're a game designer, informs nearly everything else in the entire game, even up to the setting, you know? Um if you look at hit points and what it's done to Dungeons and Dragons, the idea of hit points makes the whole world act in a certain way. It makes clerics a certain thing. It makes fighters jumping off cliffs and eating dragons a thing or not a thing. You know, that mm. just that one little mechanic has informed so much of the game. And then the other way of doing it, of course, as you say, mate, is like you can just go dial up the realism angle a little bit more. You might look at I have a fondness for games that have two tracks one for kind of like luck morale bruising and the other one for like pissing blood <laughs> essentially <laughs> broken bones yes. so you know and they've been around for quite a while now and they kind of like they do a sort of best of both worlds thing where you've got like your reservoir of, of yeah morale luck I, I always try and fold luck and morale as hit points but then it gets serious and, and that can work like something like Warhammer where you've got like a buffer zone and then once that's gone we're rolling on tables and nothing on there is fun nothing is good news yes. so that's, do not be rolling on those yeah. tables and I think that blended approach is kind of where I'm at I quite like yeah. those so the death spiral is it, as a player I find it quite hard to get out of sometimes if I'm at minus two to everything that can be a bit overbearing but if I've got a buffer and I kind of do in a meta sense my player and my character kind of knows oh, oh, we're playing with fire now, we're down to our last few bits. That yeah, feels yeah, yeah. like then if, I, if I'm if i into criticals, that's my fault. You know? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah, I've, I found it funny sometimes running Savage Worlds at conventions. I've sometimes forgotten to tell people how many wounds there are. So when I say, oh, you're taking two wounds and, you know, look at someone, I expected them to try and spend a penny to solve that because it's quite devastating. They'll say, how many have I got? Because two doesn't sound a lot when you're used to having 100 hit points. Right. <laughs> but when you've only got three wounds you can take, and you've taken two, that, that's a big number. So, yeah, I definitely take that point on. But, yes, I'm, I'm the same. I think there should be some sort of a, um, like business as usual for your character that you're used to getting into scrapes. So, that should be yeah. all right. You should be able to do that. And then 
that key bit that you they mentioned there that there's some tables to roll on or something like that that you know as a player you are making the decision now to push it mm. beyond where you should do um, so it makes the early part of the fight fun or you know danger free almost to a degree uh, and then you can decide how deep you want to wade into those waters or whether you should run away or play dead or do something else bargain plea throw money at them whatever you can do so yes I do like that approach quite a bit and it also gives you that idea of um it's not just all or nothing then. There's different modes, different phases to what's happening to you, which yes. I like. Even if it's only two, I think that's a, that's a, that's better than just all or nothing. It is, yeah. It is. But, I mean, there's still a funny old business. I mean, they're another bit of the design space that I think are sometimes underused because they're almost like a passive score. Your hit points or whatever you, is you're using, they go up, they go down, they stay sideways. But as a player you don't get to influence your hit points very much they're kind of a reactive thing you either have them taken away from you or you have them given to you it's quite mm. fun sometimes to find games where your hit points are also a resource you can spend you might see that in some games where it powers magic for example yes so you can get like blood magic and you can like boost your chances of stuff by calling upon your inner reserves and that but that's a design space i don't see used terribly often um and given that it's the ultimate resource because you know it, no one's no one's interested in your gold coins when you're bleeding out in a dungeon so, you know. <laughs> yeah i do like having yeah physical and mental stress tracks or whatever you want to call them mm. i think there's a good argument for that um, and then that also leads to things like actually having social combat or social conflicts or that kind Agreed. of thing or tests of wills whatever else you want to do if you've got a similar sort of track that you use for punching people for trying to outwit them that gives you much more design space there to play things. Yeah, tracks are good, and I mean, and the kind of the, the epitome or the most modern incarnation of, of hit point tracks is all cunningly disguised in Powered by the Apocalypse games, which gives you a clock instead, which is yes, <laughs> which is get a hit point, now turn it into a string of boxes, now turn it back on itself, make it into a little pie chart, and no one will notice it's a hit point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in in terms of like our, our sort of advice then as well for things like that um one, one of the things i would suggest for for D, &D in terms of hit points so i'm not hating on D, &D it's just a, it's the archetypal example if you talk about hp sure but one thing you can do is add narrative color to that so even though mechanically if you're on 28 points or 10 it doesn't make any difference uh you could just add in something some bits yourself as a player about how your character feels or them you know heaving heavy breaths to be able to lift their sword now or whatever it might be you know spitting blood on the floor you grit your teeth and determinedly carry on fighting or whatever i think adding uh personal color to things can make a simple mechanic like hp which seems just a static number that goes up and down become more interesting yourself yes. as well and yes. that's time that makes the combat then more fun for everybody around the table yeah uh, yeah definitely agree with that i mean um 4e for D&D &D was full of innovations but one of them was the bloodied state which 5e keeps and doesn't do anything with except just says you know you can just tell people they're bloodied when they're at half hit points but it makes a massive <laughs> difference because you've just forced everyone to use a word instead of a number it makes a massive mm -hmm. difference people know what it means it definitely takes on a different tone people kind of lean in a little bit more um, so you know that's the power of words over the power of numbers because just saying I attack take six is no one's idea of a good time after a bit uh, mm. which you know which then leads on to the idea of as you say mate adding narration into combat i mean that could be quite can be quite tough if you're playing you know into your second or third combat of the session maybe and you've, you've played multiple rounds it could be quite hard to be as enthusiastic about describing your sword swing on the 25th go as it was on your first but the addition of conditions to any kind of combat track or hit point tracker can actually add a little bit of flavor and plenty of games lean into that quite heavily with people being dazed or stunned or fatigued having some new words and some new stuff um, to write down your character sheet or a little box to tick to say you're broken for example adding in words to those combats at those little stages can bring everything a little bit more to life when it's getting down to like otherwise you're chipping away at numbers which is not not necessarily fun yeah yeah i think the good used sparingly i think for me there seems to be a problem at the minute problem bug feature depends on how your point of view but a lot of people seem to be just leaning too heavily into it 
Right. So Warhammer, for example, has got a bunch of different conditions, but you need like a set of playing cards, basically, with eight-point font on, with mm. detailed information typed out to work out what happens when you're ablaze, or unconscious, or right. Yeah. You know, there's too many words and too many things, and then. You know, we make jokes about inflicting the dead condition on people, but quite often those conditions can become like hit points or like some other role for initiative, just like a standard phrase, like, oh, have you got the XYZ condition? It just sure. becomes a thing. It stops being narrative. So I think if they're used sparingly and there's only two or three and they mean something like blooded, I think that's quite good. You know, if extra monster abilities can trigger on bloody characters, for example, that kind of thing, mm. that suddenly makes it quite interesting. Um, yes, so I don't mind conditions at all. I think it's a good idea. Uh, what I'm slightly concerned about with the current way things are going is people seem to just be using them all the time, mm. and for things that don't need a condition, it, should, you know, it doesn't have to come under an official category and have a a, a card associated with it with a, a wall of text. No, that's fair, mate. I, I think when people we play enough games as well that I can't hold them in my head. Like my dazed is probably not the same as your dazed depending on what yes. game we're playing. It's very, very difficult to hold all of that in your head. If you're moving from system to system, as I think a lot of people do, you yeah. get it eventually. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's another thing to master, isn't it, if it has to happen at a strict time. Do you know, it's, I'll, I'll take it back about conditions. I'm not I'm not as much of a fan at all. <laughs> <laughs> I've now got the condition, gone off conditions. I'll read my card at my leisure. <laughs> I think I think that's something you can do for, for fights or your system, but generally when, you, when you're picking and choosing bits is just be selective and work out what's fun. We probably didn't talk about that last time, but it might be worth reflecting after you've had a really good fight or whatever it is in your game that you, you kind of look back on what, what which place did we enjoy, where was it a bit flaggy, whatever else, and that kind of thing. Or if you had a if you had a one where it just felt a bit of a grind, nobody's coming out of it feeling good. The characters might have won, but the players don't feel happy. Like look back at the bits that you thought were useful and maybe do less of the bits that weren't. Yeah, it's a yeah, thing to I, do. You know. Yeah, a little stock take of of how that went. Is always worth doing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think one of the things that seems to come up quite a lot for games is things that go on too long, or they start to feel like a grind. Uh -huh. So, in King of Dungeons and Thirteenth Age and stuff like that, you've got the escalation die. So, as the combat goes on, the players have got a better chance of hitting the baddies. This die, a d6, typically starts at zero. You put it down with a one on round two, and it goes up to a two, three, four as the rounds progress, and that's a bonus to hit for all the characters. So all that does is ramp up towards ultimate victory quite quickly, so that fights don't go on too long. So I can't think of any other mechanics quite like that off the top of my head. But if there aren't ways of accelerating, it's often worth thinking as a gem of ways of coming to the stop. Like mm. your baddies run away, they give in, they plead for their lives, they just whatever. Wherever it might be, like, don't have to play things out until everybody last work has died, or whatever it might be. I think just think about having fun, and, and you, you can finish a combat, maybe even a little bit early sometimes, so you leave the players wanting more. But it's sometimes lo worth looking at the pace and how much action you're having, and is anything else to be gained by grinding out another couple of rounds, or is it effectively over now? So yeah. skip to the end of that bit and get it to just describe their last action as they finish off the orcs or whatever it is and then that's it that's the end of that fight yeah yeah agree mate i mean the escalation dice is a beautiful piece of tech and portable there are not many games you couldn't use that concept in super portable. yeah i, th I thought you meant carrying a d6 around i was gonna say yeah they're really small <laughs> yeah, but not the escalation dice that's the biggest dice in your collection so is that an escalation dice in your dice pouch are you just really pleased to see them um, it's, it, but it's an extension of a couple of different things Well, the other benefit of the escalation dice I must mention is not only does it mean that your fight doesn't go on too long it also means your fight doesn't go off too short because if you've got big nova powers and stuff like that and uber abilities you don't want to use them in round one because you've got plus naught to attack you might miss with it so people tend to save and that means that, that, generally speaking, combats go off for about three, four, maybe five rounds, but they always end in a climactic way, and they don't end in a in an anticlimactic way where it's just a giant fireball and nobody else gets to play. So it kind mm. of works at both ends. Just for an addition of a D6, it's a really clever little thing. And the only other option, because you're right, mate, you don't see mechanics like that in other games. The other option that you do sometimes see 
although it's fallen out of favour massively, it was in basic D&D and then got dropped by the D&D line for decades, is morale. It's the idea mm. of hobgoblins, you know, being less likely to turn and run than goblins. But goblins, as soon as you kill one, they got a test. Kill half of them, they got a test again. You blow one up with fire, you got to make a test. It's, it's stuff that you see in war games all the time. Role-playing games seem to want to shy away from that a little bit, mostly because I think they don't want to inflict it on PCs because real players would go, you what? You're making me run. Isn't that my choice? <laughs> and it's like, well, someone needs to make you run because you're never going to do it on your own, mate. Players <laughs> never run. No. And that no, means that the, the, the morale rules are kind of, they, they kind of in some ways don't work because they're just so asymmetrical in the game. You can't force it on players. Nobody wants that. And when you just use it for monsters, that kind of shortcuts shortcuts a lot of interesting scenes sometimes. I quite like morale because I think it leads to chases, and I like that in my combats too. But mm. there, there's got to be a reason why you don't see more of that break mechanic. You know, roll to see what happens. Is are we going to have another round at all? Is there a mechanical thing that we can use to see? Is it is it worth pursuing at this point? Because surely your experience must be the same as mine. Go, all fights end in the utter annihilation of one side or the other. That's the typically, end yeah, yeah. Yeah, unless I remember, and then, <laughs> and then sometimes they run away. So it's good to have. You can have breakpoints. Another thing I used to see that I don't see as much in scenarios now is kind of at round three a troll turns up or something Ooh, like that. Yeah, and yeah, you don't. You just don't see it as much, and it's that's easy enough for you to do yourself, right? You can do that when you start fighting the goblins in the food hall. One of them runs off screaming straight away, and you have to fight the rest. Like there should be a consequence to that. That goblin's gonna have to get the big curve troll. He'll be turning up soon. Mm. so can you deal with the goblins quickly enough or how are you going to manage things that kind of stuff and you can set up yourself if when you're devising your scenarios not just have a big bunch of goblins in a room but a different variety of them like there's going to be some weak goblins that get picked on and the big hard ones so like split them into two groups and have slightly different stats for one group and the others and the little ones will get pushed in first and then the big ones will come in once the other ones have sort of like ground you down a little bit and they fancy the chances perhaps yeah. I was running some Vesson at the weekend again to hark back to my free league obsession at the minute and a good thing they do for the, the Vesson the, the, the creatures that you fight or try and work out how to get rid of anyway it's typically not a fight there's other, some other way you have to get rid of them but they have condition tracks as well as or similar to what the players have in terms of having you know your broken condition or you feel tired or exhausted or whatever it might be but they just have one long track and then depending where you want along that track taking damage they'll have an approach so they might be frightened and try and hide they might get super angry and get a bonus that round or you know a variety of different things to practice just scream in impotent range whatever it is but that's better than just taking damage or the fight going on and you getting towards an end and everybody's getting a bit tired and things are going on. like having a variety having peaks and troughs along a track as things happen it can either be based on time on what round you're on it can be about how beat up the body is or how many goblins have been killed or any other factor you want I think it's worth considering that when you start your fights or before you start them preferably that you have a list of things that will happen along the way at some point in round two an oil drum is going to get kicked over and half the room is going to be on fire or something like that you know any number of different things you could have in but thinking yourself in advance of what are two or three beats that will happen along the way of the fight that are going to just change the dynamic and give us something else to think about I think that's that's a good tip. I think so too, mate. I think as a GM, um, I've got enough published scenarios that definitely let me down on this, and I let myself down by planning an encounter, and that just means stocking a location with baddies. Mm -hmm. and that's not that's not really planning an encounter. That's planning like what they see when they walk in through the door. But you know, you've then got half an hour of gameplay where you are strictly going by the dice or improvising like crazy, and that can be fun. But as you say, if you've got an escalation dice mechanic or something like that, where as soon as the escalation dice hits three, that's when the water starts rising up and it's going up you know, by a couple of feet every time the escalation dice gets turned over. But there's a way of turning that dice back. That's adding yeah. to the environment. It's adding to the dynamism of a combat. Because I guess, I guess what, we've, what we've been talking about all the way through this is just about adding more flavor and more punch, to forgive the pun, into your combats <laughs> not by necessarily making everything bigger numbers and going on for longer because that's a mistake the movie makers make you just you, what you really want to do is condense stuff you know I'd, I'd rather have two good fights than one long not so good fight 
too good yeah. short fight sorry so it's about putting more stuff into that fight into that combat and that can be actually you, you it's, it's a scene it's a really good scene so have some stuff happen have some people coming through the doors have some cracks appear in walls have some gouts of flame um have the have the whole reason for the combat just swivel halfway through it you know where the bad guys suddenly get attacked by other bad guys and now you're caught in the middle of two factions and you mm. know and it is it can be it can and should be much more than just a meat and potatoes initiative attack hit damage dead in that order yes that's sad yeah good i think we're, we're, we're all agreed on that yeah well done yeah so the bit in the middle then is like you know the bit between initiative and death is is the <laughs> the, me the mechanics of of you know actual fighting whether it be with sword laser pistol song spell whatever it is uh classic stuff first i guess an attack roll followed by a damage roll sometimes you get that done in one probably more often than not actually probably it's even more common that it's just a single roll that then does something to the back to the opponent and then they get a go back at you so so where's so what innovations have we seen where's the good stuff at that can make that more than just a dice rolling exercise yeah so i like there are several systems where for every extra success you get you get some extra damage Mm. And damage might be static rather than a rolled number, which quite so. I think Genesis is like that, if I remember correctly. So your gun will do three damage to pick a number off the top of my head. Yeah. But if you rolled two extra successes, it'll do five damage and that kind of thing. So I like that because that gives you a, a qualitative boost because of how well you rolled. Because nothing upsets players more. Well, there's a big list of things that upset players <laughs> but but one of the many things that upsets players is when they roll a critical or something a really good hit roll and they feel super excited and then they roll the minimum damage and everybody like sulks and it's just it's just a it's a bad feeling around the table even as the gm you feel like oh like you know come on do better or you or you like you really want them to do something impressive and cool so i i think moving away from that kind of like um dislocation between attack and damage I think is a good thing that's something I've seen more like the, the better your success the more damage you'll do that's that kind of thing I like or uh, as I've mentioned the free league and some other systems do as well where in terms of you get extra stunts or bonuses or advantages or things like that in, gen mm. in Genesis and that kind of thing uh, extra bits you can do to add narrative or to help a friend out to give someone else a bonus to inhibit your enemies all that kind of stuff uh, I think is good so extra things besides just you know you do some more hit point damage i think anything yeah. that uh, rewards creativity as well you know you, you've got an advantage what do you want that to be i swap initiative card it means that uh, my friend can now blindside you because he's paying his, his you know closely attended to me now or whatever it might be that that's the sort of thing that i think has improved things as an innovation like you know get, getting extras that aren't just about the hit point total yeah so recently the, the the new stuff i've seen is 2d20 which powers an awful lot of games in different ways uh, we played a bit of conan which is probably mm. the crunchier end of the 2d20 spectrum we've played a bit of dishonored and a few other things haven't we and um mm. one of the interesting ways that they do that is with momentum or whatever they call it depending on the variant that's where success breeds success isn't it so the, the higher you do the more successes you get you can fill up a little pool that you can then spend immediately or reserve and, and use for other things and you can power stunts and that kind of thing um, and the age system as well does something similar with its stunt points so it's quite nice that as you suggest you can you can do something cool and you do it so cool that it powers more cool and it becomes like a virtuous circle of like cool things that are going on yeah. and I, I like to compare and contrast it with with stuff like fate which which is really good in combats. It does maybe it doesn't look like this is not particularly numbery, but it's really good in combat because of the narration. But fate makes you pay for cool stuff by having problems. So if you fail, you get better later. It's exactly the opposite attack, um, and I find they're both quite successful at building up good climactic moments, either making your call deliver you more call immediately, or taking a hassle now, taking a problem now because then you can trade it in for a nice effect later on. All mm. of that does more than just have straight rolls, straight damage. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Genesis has got, um, I can't really call it, it's like a fake pool or something, but you've got Destiny Points, I think they called it in Star Wars, they called something else in the core mm-hmm. game, I can't remember. But um, basically, you you can spend them to upgrade dice and get uh, story elements for yourself, and the GM can spend them to make things harder. And there's there's not like there's not two separate pools, just like a finite amount, and they get switched between the two pools, if you know yes. what I mean. So if the players use all their advantages up quite early, it means that the gem at some point can drop a big bomb on them, and he'll want to like the gem or she will be trying to throw the chips back at the players again by introducing complications and things. Mm. So I like that as a mechanic. In Genesis, I don't think you get a good enough benefit and or uh, downside. It doesn't feel impactful enough, but I do like the idea that there's a like a resource of luck or fortune or whatever you want to call it that's like flowing between the players and against them and as they push their luck it means that something's going to come back and bite them later that kind of thing I, I like that idea yeah 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 you see that in stuff like a cortex system as well where like you know your failures can build up the GM's doom pool and that that folds, folds into more yeah. than just combat I mean they can just use it for like some armour there and then but it it could just result in like more baddies or your girlfriend getting abducted while you're out fighting crime in the streets, you know. So you know that's kind of nice. Um, so yeah, I mean th- this is why I like combats because the designers get to like play with stuff. They get to give you stuff to play with as well. There's just there's a whole lot of toys available suddenly. If if you've got some mechanical stuff there, you don't have to use them. But you know, all of a sudden you've just had a bunch of toys thrown into your lap, uh, and it's quite good fun to press those buttons and pull those levers and make stuff happen. So yeah, I want more of it in the rest of the game, which is what I think the point was we we discussed last time. <laughs> yeah, I brought that up several times. So again, this is we we kind of go a bit D and D and a bit trad game and stuff like that in these conversations. Mm-hmm. We understand there's you know more narrative and conflict resolution and stuff like that. Uh, but if we're going to get nitty gritty, we need to talk about these sort of mechanical bits and pieces, don't we? Mm-hmm. But that's still a, a sort of a preference. You know, some people don't want to get deep into mechanics they want to make it quite easy and simple and that's okay we're not saying you you have to weigh yourselves down you know use a level that's comfortable for you uh, and you know i think a lot of what you've picked up from the last couple of episodes is what we're saying is make it more fun by using words you know so if you feel um, like fourth edition dnd is too much stop using that and maybe try <laughs> using the black hack or you know somewhere in between the two there's lots of different things you can do uh, but do look at that tech, uh, as Baz was saying. Then you know there's there's lots of things you can introduce or not into your game, and there's no point, or there's no harm, sorry, in trying some things and see if they work out, and then having an honest discussion afterwards and deciding to ditch them if you didn't like them. Yeah, and, and I think as well on that point, mate. It's um, you know, just because you do a combat one way doesn't mean that all your combats have to be that way in the same session, That's certainly true. in yeah. the same campaign. Um, and we, I think we've we've all benefited before from like a little bit of honest uh, time out, guys. Well, listen, it's just a guard. Do you just want to do them, and then we'll we'll get on with the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, that'd be great. And you put your initiative and your miniatures away because it's not needed for that particular fight. But when you get down into the bottom of the dungeon, there's the beholder and all of its minions. You'd feel a bit cheated if the GM said, "Shall I just say the beholder's one?" Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, horses for courses, but it doesn't. Yeah. Um, it does kind of impact on. I mean, a thing I wanted to bring up was about like you know your choice of what your what your combat in your game it wants to achieve. Um, there's a, there's a concept that's in D and D discussion, but I think it's applicable to most games. It's the idea of combat as war or combat as sport, and um, it's it's a false dichotomy. But let's just go with it. The idea being that combat as sport is particularly tactical, probably has a grid. You probably play with minis or tokens or whatever it is. And in, in our current predicament where we're doing a lot of online gaming, combat as sport is probably more prevalent than ever. And it's certainly true of like your, your later editions of D&D where the grid is either the default or it's expected or necess- or even necessary in some cases. Mm. And the combat starts from the moment initiative is rolled and it's, it's going to be quite technical and played moment by moment as you power abilities, you use your actions, trying to be effective. There'll be plenty of narration. No one's looking down on that as an activity, but it's a way of doing combat. Combat as war, on the other hand, harkens back to very early editions of D&D, where actually if you get into a fight, it's probably a bad idea. You're probably going to die. So combat as war would be, same situation, which might be, I don't know, 
six hobgoblins and an ogre in a torturer's room in a deep in a dungeon. Combat as war would be, let's not get tactical, let's get strategic. Let's let's tie some flaming oil flasks to a donkey and push it through the door and slam the door shut. <laughs> let's let's see if we can divert a local river to flood the dungeon. Let's, you know, let's let's properly sneak in. Let's wait for eight hours until you know they really do fall asleep and then like try and like scuttle in and, and drop a poison vial. Um and, and you know, that is it's all combat. It might not be combat as we're thinking of it in that way. But does your game encourage that kind of stuff, those kind of shenanigans? Because immediately, you know, they sound like fun, but they could get a bit old as well because it's just some of it's just a bit like, you know, a bit tricksy, isn't it? You know, flooding the dungeon is actually a bit anti-fun because all you're really doing is just rejecting the premise of the game that night. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but it has its moments, and it, and I think it's worth looking at it from a philosophical point of view. In your Call of Cthulhu game, you might not necessarily want combat as sport because it's just maybe it isn't that sort of game where 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 hit locations are really going to be a big deal. Maybe it's going to be about you know you're going to get imprisoned uh, if you don't do this right, or that murder is a big deal. So it's got to be combat as war where the where the setting is going to make you play a long game and and want to be more strategic about the battles you pick. So it's I think I personally I think it's an interesting viewpoint. It's a dichotomy, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, the sort of the the thing oh, I've got many opinions, as you may know, but th- like this kind of like trying to beat the system, I don't get. Mm. I think what what it can lead to if you're trying to like do the perfect, get all the circumstances in your favour so that you've got the minimum risk and you do the most damage and you get away with it, and the police don't find out, whatever it might be. Yeah. Is it can lead to a lot of time spent with players trying to determine how to do that best, and argue about it, and planning yeah. and replanning and double checking, and turtling and you know, actually spend a lot of time thinking about doing the thing and not actually doing the thing. And what do you get out of it? I don't know. Flooding a dungeon sounds cool, but then you're in a world that's got you know water mages and things like that, and people who can just create a, open a portal and all the water yeah. flows into that instead. And some of the dimensions suddenly gets a, sh- a rain shower. I mean, if you're trying to if you're trying to meta game the game, then the GM's always got bigger elephants. So it, it seems a bit of an odd thing to try and do almost. Mm. Um, I don't know if, if you're a group and you get that's how you have your fun. You know, you're happy having a, an hour discussion about how to do something, then execute your assassination perfectly, and you make one roll and win, and nobody finds out, and you're happy with that. Good for you. Yeah, uh, but that that doesn't feel like the sort of game I want to play. I want to be actually doing things rather than talking about doing things. That doesn't mean I want to rush blindly into everything, but I do like the idea of it as a bit of a sport. Really, if you're playing a certain game with a decent sized combat chapter in it, you want to be doing the combat. I think that feels mm-hmm. like, and not avoiding the combat. Yeah, when I when I see description of combat as war, and I might be doing it a disservice. Look this stuff up; it's on the internet. It does actually do about the avoidance of combat at all. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, no. yeah. That's, a, that's, that's not a strange desire. That's a perfectly valid desire. That's no less valid than, and, and you'll hear this a lot, we've not discussed this, but what happens when someone says, I just want to intimidate them. Can I make an intimidate role in the middle of a fight? And what they want to do is switch the fight off at yeah. that moment. And you know, that, that's a, a one button press to not have the combat happen anymore. Um, that's an awkward situation. I don't, I don't see that addressed brilliantly in a lot of games. Yeah, I, f- I find it a bit odd. Yeah, I've had several players do that relatively mm. recently as well. And it'd be at a point where it looks like the bad guys are winning. And I think they're trying to use it as a leveler or to, to get the upper hand again. But it's kind of like, I'm going to intimidate them to, to give in. It's like, well, they're like, looking at it objectively from the Orcs' point of view, they're winning. Like, what, yeah. why would they suddenly give in? Like, you, you are the guys who should be, like, one of them should be intimidating you, you know? Well, which is a thing you can have in your game if you want. The Orcs might not just want to murder you. Or, okay, we're using Orcs interchangeably with the generic bad guy before we kick off all that argument again about <laughs> Orcs and race and stuff. I, I don't know. I find, like, I find OSR still a bit odd. We, we did say we we're going to try some of that at some point. We're hoping to get uh, Keeper Matt or someone to run some Merkborg for us. To give it a go, to fl- play to find out, as they say, because that seems to be the more you interact with anything in a lot of those OSR style games, like the more chance there is you'll die. Yeah. So it almost feels like you don't want to interact with anything because that's the only way you don't 
suffer badly because there's no upside. It's all like suffering as far as I can for a lot of those games. So I don't understand why you would engage in that sort of game. But for some people, that must be fun. It's trying to pick your way around and not uh, drink the poison and fall into the obvious traps and you know avoid the the rust monster that's hiding in the fallen leaves and things. I don't know. I don't. I don't see for myself where the fun is. So I, that's probably why I don't play those games so much. But I think some people do get fun out of playing in a highly dangerous and hostile environment and trying to get through it. Fantasy Vietnam. Yeah, where you've yeah. got to step your way carefully for everything. I mean, that, that's where you know the combat as war idea would have started. So that you know, if you take a keep on the borderlands and you've got like you've got a, a half a dozen or a dozen caves and each one's got a little monster tribe in it, actually, especially under those old D&D rules, going into the cave and taking it one room at a time, which is a much more modern approach, you know, like clearing rooms, that's going to get you killed. So what you really need to do is set the ogres against the kobolds and yeah. play factions and do that kind of stuff. So yeah, you are trying to avoid combat, but you're trying to get the uh, just just make it all happen from a distance. And, and I guess there is a little bit of like, haha, so you go, we've, we've circumvented the scenario, aren't we clever? I don't really want to circumvent scenarios, I want to get in them. <laughs> these days I want to I want to play the scenario punch them in the face because yeah. <laughs> yeah. like with novels I don't just turn to the last page and read it and go ha ha fooled you writer I've, I've undone your entire plan by skipping to the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting when I was running some um, World of Darkness set in Dresden and there was a, a political leader that the, the players had decided was um, a ghoul or a baddie of some sort I wanted to assassinate him and they set everything up and they made some good rolls and it worked so like yep yeah, you shot him he's dead and that was like you know it was just everything worked out beautifully but as a role playing experience we all agreed it was a bit you know wasn't that great actually yeah. Yeah. when it came down to it like I couldn't see any way of penalising them that made any sense and they rolled extremely well so it just seemed like I'll, I'll give you the win but it turned out that just giving people wins isn't as satisfying as having to earn them no um, so there's a balance as a gem of trying you've got to not be seen to artificially be putting obstacles there when they shouldn't be or it's not reasonable to be or like there's too much to overcome just for the sake of like padding a fight out yeah. and equally like you know don't just remove things all the time either otherwise it's too easy and there's not enough challenge there it doesn't feel as satisfying mm. Yeah, yeah, that that and that's where the magic word pace comes up again, and it's been long overdue, isn't it? Pace can sometimes mm. be about stopping something rather than you know just try going. It's not a headlong rush through the game at all. That's not what pace is. It's about you know, knowing when to open up the throttle, knowing when to hit the brake, and just reading the room. And combat's as much as anything where you can, as a player and a GM, you can get a little bit blinded by the dice. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff we've said today has come from the GM's perspective and yeah. I, I don't know how helpful that is for players because I think in players you are uh, you're much it's, it's difficult isn't it because as a player in a combat you're much more playing your pawn at that point than you than you might feel in the freer aspects of the game where you feel you can have a bigger impact on, on, the, on where the game is going in a combat as a player I quite like having loads of things to do because in a weird way I've got less to do Scope. less yeah. scope so I want more agency that's using loads of jargony words I apologise to everybody immediately <laughs> yeah I think uh, you can be open about what it is you want from your game as a player as well can't you I think mm. one of the things I have found that when we talked about running away earlier and things like that and I, I have had fights where I basically said okay the guys they drop the swords and run off now kind of thing mm. and, it's got, and the, some players will get quite oh no well I, I want to stop them I want to, I'm gonna, you know, I want to kill them it's like Okay, you can then. No, no, I need to roll for it. And it's like, what? Why are you rolling dice that only you care about? Like, look, look around the table at who else cares. I don't. There's Jim. I, I just said they're dead, and they assist I'm rolling, and they miss. And it's like, well, now nobody's happy. <laughs> you didn't get to kill them. <laughs> I've had to endure some more rolls and narration that we don't want. I don't. What are you, what are you doing? So yeah, just be cautious as a player when. I know it's cool to roll dice and you want to seem cool and impressive and all the rest of it, but do think about, is it worth it? And similarly, if the combat's becoming too much for you, if, the, if you're spending three hours of your four-hour session or whatever it is and you're still in the same fight that you started with and you're fed up, don't, you don't have to suffer in silence. There's polite ways of just saying to everybody else or checking in, asking the GM, what I was saying, can we, can we skip to the end? Is this 
you know, I've, I think we've established we're going to win now. Mm. That just just puts throw some extra bits in just to kind of like manage people's expectations because otherwise people might think you're having fun when you're not. Yes, and you can tell that there are there are tells in a game, and if you're playing on a grid. And, and people are like 25 squares apart from each other and it's you're chasing a goblin like some weird Benny Hill sketch around <laughs> the dungeon so just stop just stop everyone someone has to be brave enough to go can we just stop now please everyone will breathe a sigh of relief and then, and then my advice would be watch that transition I spoke way at the start of this podcast about the transition into combat can be a bit mm. jarring if you hear the gears going Com- transitions out of combat are, are largely unaddressed in GM mm. advice Moving yes. out of combat, instead, how often do you see people start talking again purely numerically? Who's wounded? How many hit points you got left? Who mm-hmm. needs healing? Everyone's got healing, healing. Anyone healing? And it's just uh, you never see that in the fiction. You never, I never see that in my head as a GM. It always feels very artificial. People start talking about taking rests, and and it's like you are literally standing in a body that is now ankle deep in a room with a body's ankle deep in blood. You know, there's probably sirens wailing, even in fantasy land. <laughs> this is a weird place to discuss. Does anybody want a cup of tea and a biscuit? Yeah. <laughs> so, there's diseases about. There's all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's time to move people. If anything, the burst of adrenaline immediately after a combat. You know, well, just go and read Unknown Armies. Just read what they say about combats. It will never make you want to run one again. Because, you know... <laughs> If you want to get the slightest bit of verisimilitude into your combat, it should be absolutely visceral. I'm lucky enough to have lived my half century on this planet and never been in in the big enough fracas to cause myself, like you know, to have to go to hospital or anything else like that. But on a routine basis, to do that in role playing games, and I think you can get a little bit complacent about combat sometimes. It just becomes yes. a bit of a numbers game or a scene or whatever. I think we owe it to ourselves to inject as much passion into these scenes as we can because they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be thrilling, um, and, and mm. if you're not careful, they're the least thrilling bit of the day. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that is a good point. I sometimes forget that as well. It's probably worth um, sort of describing the rest of your dungeon where else is going on based on what's just happened as well. Mm. There the might be the place where you're going to get the magic book might now suddenly look like it's been ransacked because the arch villain heard all the murdering going on and like hastily stuffed all the best stuff in a bag has legged it <laughs> that kind yeah. of thing uh, there could be some goblins that have fleed the scene that are now lying dead or dying they're still squeaking yeah. for their mothers in the corridors with like long trails of blood where they've been dragging themselves with intestines hanging out there could be all kinds of bits you can add in ransacked um, armories or you know hastily put up defended uh, barricades or all kinds of things that could come off the back of it um, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's a good point. As well as planning what's actually going to happen in your fight, think about what might come out as a consequence of the actions. Well, it should be a pivotal scene, shouldn't it? Mm. I think we said last time that as a GM, you have to lose 100% of your fights. Maybe not 100%. There'll be some old schoolers out there going, well, it's 80-20 in, in my favour, actually. But usually speaking, you don't kill the players every time you have a combat. But it should be a pivotal scene. Um, and and in, in, in a lot of games that you see they're less pivotal than a paragraph in a fighting fantasy book which at least mm. says east or west afterwards you've got two choices but yeah. in a lot of them they are just they are a bump in a road and, and no more That's than right. that they're a tempo hit to your game actually but they should imagine imagine that if every fight at the end of it that it opened up either another avenue or it closed an avenue or something has to happen within the grander plot as a result of that combat and that mm shouldn't necessarily be death of players or baddies because <laughs> that's obviously a little bit binary but you know look at well, look at games like Dungeon World which will have grim portents and they'll have fronts and just reactions to these things we've, we, we've been talking in the kind of game in shorthand about hit points and goblins a lot tonight but that, that's that's kind of milk toast. you know yeah. our games don't really have dungeons with just a couple of goblins in it playing dice waiting to be murderised there yeah. should be consequence it may be a positive consequence maybe not be something should happen as a result of the fight and the way that fight went down either the time it took or the resources that have been depleted or you know the the favors you now owe someone because you've had to like drag someone in and ease their leg stitching back on it should mean something if it doesn't mean something what was the point of any scene in a role-playing game mm-hmm. and combat yeah. more than any no, agreed. 
that has got me thinking about all kinds of other things now and <laughs> things we could put in for the other, <laughs> other systems of other types of mechanics that you could bring into your fights now but I noticed that the uh, sands of time have beaten us once again um, so we're probably going to have to wrap up for this hour maybe so. if uh, if there's the same torrent of requests as there was for the last episode we can do a third one and get into some more nitty gritty who knows so let us know what you think out there in Listenerland if there's something else you want us to talk about extra bits any questions you've got if you've got any conundrums do throw them our way and we'll do our best to answer them for you or at least give you our approach or a range of approaches and how to deal with them yeah definitely this is an avenue that we love to pursue because it comes up in every game we play and I think there's still a lot of untapped conversational areas if we look at stuff like I don't know just we mentioned Paul of Cthulhu in passing you know we've been a bit D&D tonight as, as a kind of a just as a, a something to say really but you know loads of games and systems spin off away from that and treat their combats in a very very different way and I think we can learn a lot from those so if you want us to go into further reaches of games and gaming uh, we love doing that so we we are happy to take requests um, and any other elements of the games that you would like us to do a deep dive on you know how to reach us through the usual channels um, or you get really noticed become one of our glorious patrons because their requests always get dealt with first on the pile so be like True. one of those glorious guys who keep us on the road every week thank you guys yeah, thanks very much for everybody else who, not just the patrons, but anyone who supports us. If you uh, share our uh, podcast around, if you tweet, Facebook, uh, I guess you can probably TikTok or Instagram or something, but that's for kids and we don't know about that kind of stuff. But do feel free to share that kind of stuff out there. Any kind of uh, sharing, likes, uh, all that kind of stuff. It does us no end of favours. Um, but, you know, uh, we have got. Uh, some new patrons this month thanks to Chris Barron Tristan Nabra Mark Turnage and Chris Robertson who all gave us a bit of uh, bit of cash and thanks very much to the Dice Mechanic who's uh, upped his pledge so obviously this talk of Dice and Mechanics has tickled his fancy so do get in touch if there's anything specific you want us to talk about and we'll give it a go thanks guys I'll see you on MySpace and Live Journal. probably that's where I hang out that's right I'm, I'm back to Friends Reunited now <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening everybody and we will catch you next time on what would the smart party do